Our text today comes to us from Psalm number 80, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 15. Listen now for a word from God. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea. Our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. But now, why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass by may steal our fruit? The wild boar from the forest devours it, and the wild animals feed on it. Come back. We beg you, O oh God. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted, this child you have raised. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time set aside to dwell on it. Lord, again, I pray that you would make your presence known to us here right now. And that God, whatever word or wisdom we would hear this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it was announced maybe last week, uh, Sarah and I have been here three years officially. So yeah, three years. Seems like uh, it's been three days. <laughs> so um, we did not have a, a daughter together when we showed up here and now she's walking and talking and she's in school and she has all kinds of ideas and she's bossy and <laughs> you know, time time is going fast. When we... When we first showed up here, uh, a lot of people wanted to tell us stories about Fort Street, all kinds of stories. In fact, um, someone put on my desk uh, a history of Fort Street that was written by one of our members, Tim Moran, for, was it Detroit's 200-year anniversary? 300-year anniversary, excuse me. For Detroit's 300, um, there was a series of lectures that were written and kind of compiled into a booklet. And that was flopped onto my desk with all of these stories of Fort Street's beginnings all the way up to the present. And, you know, I actually read through some of those stories. Um, wh what's really interesting is, and I'm going to fly fast and loose here in front of the historian, so forgive me if I'm paraphrasing or if I'm off, but, you know, Fort Street was founded by a group of um, people that were a little unhappy with how the local church was handling social issues at the time. And from, from my understanding, they kind of put their heads together and said, you know, we can do this a little bit better. And we want to be more of a social presence in the world. And we want to be more of um, a, a ministry to the people that need it. And so they kind of found it. And, you know, they were a, uh, an impatient and um, maybe an unruly kind of group that uh, needed to get things done. That spirit still exists here today in the best ways possible. I want you to know 
So I read about these stories of the founding. And if you go through the history, what you'll find is, you know, uh, there were a lot of ups and downs. There were a lot of mountaintops and a lot of valleys. You know, after it was founded, it, it seemed to be going pretty well. I mean, they had to meet in the courthouse at first, but pretty soon they had enough funds to build uh, this place that we're sitting in right now, and, you know, they did a, I think they did an okay job, I'd say, you know. So they, they put this together, but, you know, a, f a few years after their founding, 20 or so, 30, um, this place burnt down. <laughs> and you get to kind of hear the story of the fire a little bit. I mean, I don't think we have a whole lot of detail, but this place was gone, and there was a lot of fear. Is it going to come back? Can we rebuild it? Can we afford it? Uh, pretty soon, people pitched in, and, and they raised the roof once again, and, and uh, they put everything back together, and things were going well once again. And then, uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, a few more years later, another fire hits, <laughs> and the place burns down twice. How many churches have burnt down twice in their history? Um, and there was more fear, more wondering, but the money came in. People pitched in, and soon we're back in church. There were, there were more stories, too, between uh, that, that second fire and then up to World War II where th things were going pretty good, but once the war hit, things became really, really uncertain. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but there was actually a meeting of the session at one point in the history of this church after, after things were going well, and, and you know people saw a lot of hope and possibility. The war hits... And it drags on for so long, and people are so uncertain, and, and, and no one knows what's going to happen. And the session meets and, and essentially has to declare, we might have to shut the doors. This is in, I believe, 1942-ish. And um, no one knew what was going to happen. A few weeks later, I, I believe, maybe a few months, the war ends, the world changes, and suddenly there's much more vitality coming back through the doors. The pews are filling again, the programs are coming back, and there's less worry about the future. Then again, it kind of goes from that valley and it rises up again, and in the, in the 50s, I think things were strong. We actually have pictures from the 50s, and you can see the Great Hall like full of people, and they're all wearing suits because everyone was still formal then. They all look great, and it, it looks wonderful. It looks wonderful. And then the uprisings happen, not just in Detroit, but all around the country. And, and I've heard uh, stories firsthand from people that say, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if the doors would be open. We just didn't know. And then Dr. Crilly comes, and there's another infusion of vitality. And these are where we actually have most of our stories of Fort Street. These are the stories I heard the most was uh, from the time Crilly came un and really until the present. And, um, you, you know, there, there was a lot of worry at the time, but suddenly there, there seemed to be a great need that Fort Street was meeting with the open door. And I've heard stories, um, please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but y'all used to feed like seven or 800 people in a week, and they would be lined up all the way around the block waiting to get in here to get their food, and, and, and it was a great, great service downtown at the time for those that didn't have resources. And the church really rallied around this. And, and I've heard stories, too, at that time that there were kids everywhere in this place. I've heard stories of kids, you know, running around and maybe climbing up the bell tower, which you can still do, uh, running around the basement, all of these things. And there were confirmation classes, second, third, fourth grade. There were 
So many people, so many programs, so much vitality. One of my favorite stories from this time is, is hearing about the first Messiah. And um, the, the way it was told to me was that these singers that had signed up to do the Messiah, they were, um, they were a little unsure if anyone was going to show up because you've never done anything like that. It's kind of experimental. And so, you know, some of them, I, I was told, had rented dresses or bought dresses, bought suits, rented suits. And they were up in our Macmillan room over here preparing, getting ready, and they were going to be led down into the sanctuary. And they had no idea if anyone was going to show up. And I, and I get this fear as a preacher, okay, and especially here at Fort Street, because attendance at Fort Street at 11 a.m. is very, very different than Fort Street at 10.30 a.m. And um, it, it can be scary because you don't know. You've prepared, you've worked, and you want to share the gift that you have with people, you know? And so there's a lot of trepidation, and, and, and the way this person told it to me was they came down, and, and they're feeling a little bit negative about it, and they walk in the sanctuary, and they see it's like basically standing room only. And there had to be multiple performances, I believe, that year. And there, it was just overwhelming, the response and this excitement. And from that, the corral grows up, and, and a lot of people come back for that. Many of you have lived through this time, and you don't need me to tell you how wonderful it was and how many programs there were and how great everything was. And then again, what happened and what's very, very natural in the life of an organization, it went up. And it starts to come back down. And Sarah and I show up. <laughs> and the stories we hear are all these stories that are so great from the past. And all this vitality, all of this wonderful abundance of ministry. But there were other people telling other stories to us, too. And some of those stories sounded like, I don't know, the pandemic hitting and the way it was going before the pandemic, we just, we're scared. We don't know. The way the pews aren't necessarily as full as they used to be, the way the, the committees aren't running the way they used to, the way the programs aren't quite, we just don't know. Some people were telling that story. Some people were saying, think about it, maybe three years. Think about it, maybe five years. We don't know. I think we all know intuitively what the writer of Ecclesiastes says over and over and over. There's a, there's a time and a season for everything. There's a time to plant. There's a time to harvest. There's a time to live. There's a time to die. There is uh, a time to uh, make war. There's a time for peace. There's a time for everything under the sun, the writer says. Everything has its season. Everything moves in cycles. And we, we know this, don't we? We know it if I were to ask you, is there is that time for everything under the sun? Well, yeah, of course, but we have a hard time accepting it. We have a hard time sitting with it. And I, I'm no exception to this. I, I went on a skateboard trip with my best friend recently, and uh, I, I was a pretty good skateboarder when I was a kid and had a lot of stamina, had, had a lot of tricks. And uh, I went at 35 years old to uh, North America's biggest skate park. And this was like a renaissance trip for me and my buddy. And, and y'all already know where this is going. <laughs> and I remember like when we first got there, like looking at it, it's like Disneyland for skateboarders. 
and I'm thinking of everything that I'm going to do, and I'm imagining every wonderful trick I'm going to complete, and, and we have like these wonderful cameras now so I can catch it, and I was going to share it with all of you to show you, you know, how cool your pastor is and how he still skateboards. And, and I'm remembering, too, at this time how I used to be able to skateboard all day long without stopping, all right? And I never got tired. And I'm, I'm telling you, the first morning we woke up, and went down there. After 30 minutes, I had to take a break. <laughs> my back hurt, my legs hurt. I couldn't do half the stuff that I used to. It was, and it was hard for me to accept, and I thought, gosh, I, there must be something wrong with me. I, you know, there must be something going on. And I'll never forget, my friend looked at me, he's like, dude, we're getting old. <laughs> and some of you are like, you're, you're 36, Garrett. But I mean, in skateboard terms, like I'm, I'm a dinosaur, you know? And I had a hard time accepting that, even though I know, yeah, it was always going to come to an end. Yeah, you couldn't hold on to that forever. It was always going to change. It was always going to grow in a different direction. I think we all struggle with that in our own ways. The writer of this psalm, she's... She's praying a pretty desperate prayer, I think. I think what, what she's saying to God is, is essentially, why have you turned your back on us? And she says it in the opening line. She says something to the effect of, turn your face to us again, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. And she's kind of invoking uh, what we call the blessing of Aaron. And it's from the, the book of Leviticus. You can find it in Exodus 2, I believe. And you've heard versions of it. I say some version of it every time I preach. Um, but it's essentially, you know, may God bless you and keep you. May God make his face shine down upon you. And this is a very special blessing for her and her people. It shows God's favor. It shows God is looking upon them, that God sees them in their struggle, in their plight, and also in their abundance. And it's a prayer to keep that beautiful gaze of God upon them. But here the writer is asking, she's saying, God, where, where did that go? Come back to us. Look upon us again. Why have you turned away? She's feeling desperate, hopeless even. And in this prayer, she begins to remember, and she's almost trying to ask God to remember with her. She's trying to say, God, don't you remember what you did before? Don't you remember that we were like a grapevine that you brought out of Egypt? We remember the Egypt story. We remember how the people were under this uh, economic regime that didn't give them even one day off from work, not even an afternoon off so that they could go worship, so they could be with their friends and family, so they could celebrate. They, they didn't give them anything. And in fact, when they started asking for that time off, Pharaoh and everyone else in charge started giving them more and more work to do as a way of punishing them for asking for a little bit of time to be human. And so the people cried out in a lot of the same ways that we hear the, the writer of this psalm crying out. They're crying out saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Where did you go? <laughs> Can you help us? And we're told in Exodus that finally that cry of the people reaches the ears of the Lord. And, and we know how the story goes. God calls Moses, and Moses says, yeah, I'll go, but I'm not going alone. And so God calls Aaron and brings Aaron along. And together they go to Pharaoh, and they, they try to have 
conversations and they don't really go well and so plagues are involved and, and pretty soon Pharaoh is sort of beaten down and reaches the end and says, fine, you can go, you can go. And Moses and Aaron lead the people out. Um, Pharaoh changes his mind at the last second, tries to chase them, but God is there to intervene and, and helps the people and they end up in the wilderness. And the writer of the psalm is, is remembering this. She's trying to remember and say, you, you brought us out of Egypt. We were already in the low place. We were already in the place where it was hard. We've already been in the pit, God. We wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Don't you remember that? And don't you remember, too, God, that you brought us out of Egypt and you put us in a new land? And in that new land, we were like this one little shoot of a grapevine that you transplanted and put in flourishing soil, and, and, and we sprouted up. God, we got through all of that hard stuff. We got through the valley, and you, you brought us here, and we grew. And she begins remembering all the good times again, how the people flourished, how it was like they started off as a small little group of people and then suddenly they're expanding and they're growing and there's all of this abundance and this image of one grapevine growing into a whole vineyard is the picture she's trying to paint. That the people lived together, they flourished, they had peace, they had abundance and things were good. And she wants to remind God of this because she's asking God, what happened to that? What happened to those times, God? Because now, she says, now what happens is our enemies are coming and they're tearing down our walls. And they do it with no regard for us. They step all over us. They take advantage of us. They don't care about us. They don't care about your people. Even the animals don't care. The animals walk all over us. They eat our fruit. They trample our vineyard. They do whatever they want, and there's no one here to help us. And she's asking for restoration. She's asking for help. She's saying, God, take, take those enemies away. Take those wild animals away. Take those people away. Bring us back to what it was, or at least something like what it was in the past. What I love about this psalm is that she ends it just like that. She ends it on, remember the child that you have raised. Remember the child that you have raised. And so many of the psalms, if you've read them, you know they, they kind of try to take a turn at the end, like a positive turn. And they want to say, oh, but God, we know that you're going to come through. God, we know that you're faithful. God, we know that you're mighty and you're strong and you're going to do this. And, and it's almost like the psalmist is trying to convince themselves that it's going to happen. But here in Psalm 80, we don't get that. We just get, please, remember your child. And it just ends on that flat note. You might be praying a prayer of restoration in your life right now. You might be asking God to restore this church to something of what it used to look like. And, 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 
and you know, you, you might be praying, God, br bring the people back in the pews. How are we going to get all of these pews lined up? And we have a lot of pews in here, too, by the way, which is, so it's a pretty big prayer, you know. <laughs> and you're saying, God, can we, can we do that? Can we get these committees going again? And, and you might be praying for the vitality of this church, and that's good. You, you should pray that prayer. You should restore it. And I want to tell you, God is already answering that prayer, by the way. You might be worried for this church. You might not even be involved in Fort Street. You might not care about the fate of Fort Street at all. You, you might have a lot of other stuff going on in your life. You might be praying for the restoration of a relationship, whether it's in your life or the life of someone you know, a relationship that is falling apart for whatever reasons. A relationship that, that once used to be good and, and used to feel really, really great, but now is just sort of <sighs> being trampled, disintegrating, withering. You might be praying for the restoration of your health. You might be praying for the restoration of your peace of mind. You might be praying a lot of things right now. You might be saying, you know, God, I <laughs> here I am at middle age and not, I don't have any friends and I feel lonely and I feel like I don't have any purpose and I don't know what to do. God, where are you? I want you to know it's good to pray those prayers. God's there for them. But I want to encourage us as we pray those those prayers of restoration, those prayers for healing, those prayers for hope, that we don't make the same mistake that I think the psalmist is making in this psalm this morning. And what I think is happening is that sometimes we forget, just like the psalmist, we all forget that God is with us in those valleys. You know, here she is praying this prayer, wondering what's happening, and I think that, that she thinks that God has turned away, that God has left, that God is somehow elsewhere and it's just not the case God is with us on the mountaintops and it's really easy to remember that isn't it when things are going well there's a lot of energy there's excitement you can see the good fruits you can see all of the wonderful things that are happening you can name them it's really easy to say look what God is doing it's much harder to say when we're in the pit when we're in the valley and we feel like nothing's going right, it's much harder to remember that God is still with us. So I just want to encourage us this morning. If you're going through it, if you're worried, if you're scared, let's not fall into the trap of thinking that God left. I think God is more powerfully with us in the pit when we're despaired, when we're overwhelmed. I think God is more powerfully with us in those moments than we can ever imagine. And it can be hard for us to trust that. But we should. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word. And thank you for being with us in the mountains, and in the valleys. God, I pray that you would comfort us, stick with us, 
and guide us into the future that you are creating. In Jesus' name, amen.